0: So if you've got your Bibles or your phones or whatever you use, please turn turn to Mark chapter 2. I'm going to just preach a very simple message this morning about the new wine of Jesus' kingdom. The new wine of Jesus' kingdom. And I was just thinking of the year and I uh, I had a look back over what we've preached this year. And this time, well, I'm thinking of the school year. So in, in April last year, we did a whole series on the Holy Spirit. Do you remember that? The person, the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, then we did our vision series, just in terms of what we're trying to do as a church, what we're aiming at. And then I did about six or seven weeks on heaven. Anyone remember that series? That was the kind of just before running up to Christmas. And then at Christmas time, we looked at the incarnation and what that means, what that looks like for us, why we believe that as Christians. And then after. Um, after Christmas, we did a whole run up to the, the resurrection series that we did in Easter. And we've just finished with our gospel focused outreach course, which was about eight weeks. So that's the kind of things that we've preached into this year. So I just wanted to remind you of that. And in and, and kind of summary, I, I wanted to think a little bit this morning about the kingdom and what Jesus birthed in the new thing that he did when he came. Uh, and he died and paid that atoning sacrifice for us. And so I'd like to look at Mark chapter 2 just to to remind you once again of what this kingdom looks like and what we need to value in this kingdom, all right? And Jesus, uh, uh, there's a situation here in chapter 2 from verse 18, and I'm going to read through until about the first five or six verses of chapter 3. It just says this. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, Onto an old garment, if he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wine skin. If he does, the wine will burst, and the skins and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wine skins. And one Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, the disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying, look, why are they doing that what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those that were with him? And how he entered in the house of God in the time of Abath the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which was not unlawful for any but the priest to eat, and he also gave it to those that were with him. And he said this to them: The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and there was a man there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see what he would, if if he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And I've lost my place. And so he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out immediately. They held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Father, I pray that you'd help me as I preach this morning. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're here. I thank you, Lord, that you gave us the Word, that you birthed the Word, and it's yours. And so we pray, Lord, that you'd come and you'd share with us this morning through the, your power, that our hearts might be refreshed and enlightened and enlarged as we think about some things together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the Gospel of Mark is a wonderful book, um, and each of the Gospels has a different perspective of the ministry of Jesus that it presents to us. And one of the things that Mark does, the the focus of Mark, is it concentrates on um, the the ministry of Jesus in a very uh, succinct way, and it moves quite fast through his life. And, And one of the things that Mark does is he points us to the suffering of Jesus, and that actually Jesus came to die for us it's a big focus of the whole gospel and so as we meet we meet jesus in 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 mark's gospel at the beginning we see him as a friendly savior we see him come and minister to people that no one else wanted to minister to that the religious elite wanted nothing to do with and so he reaches out to people he heals them and he demonstrates this new kingdom that he is bringing and that's the savior that we love the the jesus that we love and as he lived in this very open kind of way, he made enemies. And one of the enemies that he made most frequently and right from off the bat were the Pharisees, the religious elite. And they increasingly become more and more hostile to Jesus as he lives his life. And if you read the Gospel of Mark, you'll see that's one of the themes of Mark's Gospel, this growing hostility between the religious establishment and Jesus, and as he simply lives and demonstrates demonstrates the work of the Lord. And it becomes obvious, and it becomes clear. And here are three little cameos, three little examples of exactly what I'm talking about. The first is, he gets challenged about why his disciples don't fast. And secondly, he gets challenged on why his disciples pick grain on the Sabbath. And thirdly, at the beginning of chapter 3, there's the situation where he heals a man on the Sabbath, and it offends the Pharisees. Now, it is possible that these things didn't happen chronologically, um, because Mark generally covers uh, events quite quickly, Um, but what Mark is trying to do is describe this this rising challenge and hostility towards Jesus, and so it's, it's likely that these things did happen quite close together. And so I just want to highlight a couple of things this morning, and I hope they will encourage you. And the first is simply this, that this new kingdom, this new, the gospel that Jesus came to proclaim, to live out, and to demonstrate was a completely new thing in God's kingdom. It's a completely new thing, and and um, it becomes clear around this issue of fasting. Uh, Jesus has a different view on fasting. His disciples have a different view on fasting, Um Other than the Pharisees and other even than the the disciples of John. For Jesus, fasting was a good thing, but it was not a rigid thing. It was not a law. And we know that already from uh, Matthew's Gospel. Remember Matthew 6.16, Jesus says this, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting might be seen by others. But I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your hand, Wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but only by your father in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So something of Jesus' kingdom that is demonstrating and living out, that he's bringing with with through his life, uh, views things like fasting differently. And so the surprise for all these people is that actually it doesn't seem that Jesus' disciples fast in a religious way. Even John's disciples had this routine of fasting. And the Pharisees, most of them we would say were not saved even. They also had a routine of fasting, but Jesus didn't seem to have this routine of fasting. And so the question from the Pharisees is, why And I found it interesting, I don't know if you know this, but under Jewish law, there was only one day of fasting required in the whole year for the Jewish nation, for the people of Israel. It was called the Day of Atonement, and on that day, the whole nation would fast, the whole nation would come together, they would repent of sin, and there would be an atonement that was demonstrated, and the the picture is that the sin of the whole nation was removed from them on the Day of Atonement. That was the only compulsory fast for the people, one day a year. But then, the stricter Jews, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they fasted regularly twice a week, on Mondays and Thursdays, from sunrise to sundown, 6 a.m. in the morning to 6 p.m. And then they would eat normally after that. So I want to say again, Jesus is not against fasting, and there are some very good reasons why people might choose to fast. Some might do that out of discipline, to deny themselves for some things so that those things don't have control over them. Uh, they might also go without so they can learn to appreciate things in a, in a deeper way. These are all good things. But what Jesus is pointing to here in terms of his kingdom is that for the Pharisees, fasting was about show. It was about displaying to others their piety. It was about drawing attention to themselves of their, their own goodness so that everyone could see their piety. And so they went around with whitewashed faces and they threw ashes on, on their heads and they went around in old clothes so people could see that they were fasting. They were trying to get God's attention in a way and just show Him how religious and how pious they were. And so Jesus takes this on head on and He uses this amazing picture, a very simple picture of a Jewish wedding to demonstrate to them what He is trying to say. So when we get married, what the couples do is they go away on honeymoon for a period of time. And Matt and Beth are away right now in Canada on honeymoon. In those days, people didn't go away on honeymoon, all right? They stayed at home. And they had a hard-working kind of life. Many of them were farmers, artisans kind of people. And so for a week, they didn't go away. What they would do for a week, they would have an open house. They would open their homes, and there was feasting the whole week there was a party for a whole week. And for many of those people, that week would have been the highlight of their whole lives, where they were celebrating with friends and family around this amazing event that had happened in their lives. And so it was a week of happiness. It was a week of feasting, fasting, a feasting joy. And they invited their closest friends, and the bride and the groom would celebrate with them for a whole week. And so what Jesus does, he compares this event and he says that his disciples are the chosen guests at this wedding. And they are celebrating with him, the bridegroom. And in fact, the rabbis, even the, 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 the Pharisees and Sadducees, they had a rule that said all that attended uh, the, the bridegroom, uh, their, their wedding, were relieved of all other religious observances for that week. Anything that would lessen their joy, they were relieved of those things. So that meant that the guests at the wedding didn't have to fast. They were exempt from fasting. They were not required to do that, even under the law. And this is the whole point of what Jesus is trying to say to these Pharisees. Jesus did fast, but he only fasted for special occasions. He did not fast in times of celebration. And Jesus viewed His life and His ministry and the gospel that He was bringing as a thing of great joy for for people. And His point is, while I am here, while I am the bridegroom at this this wedding that I am demonstrating through my life, it's not time to fast now. It's time to celebrate. It's time to—the kingdom is here. Can you not see the kingdom? Can you not perceive it? The the wedding feast is happening right now before your eyes. This is the time to celebrate. This is not the time to fast. That's what He's saying. And then he says, the time will come when the bridegroom is going to be taken away from the wedding. Then you're going to have to fast, he says to his disciples. Are you with me? So he's saying, no, my kingdom, my kingdom is about celebration. It's about joy. And while I'm with you, I want you to celebrate with all of your hearts. And then he says, it's about new wine. And I've heard this preached many times in terms of leadership, but I don't think it really is about leadership. I think it's a, the leadership is, is, a, is a secondary thing. But he's saying, this new kingdom, this new thing that I'm bringing is the new one. This kingdom of grace, of kindness, of mercy, this is the new one that I'm bringing to you. And you can't just patch that onto an old system. You can't just patch that onto a religious system. You can't just patch that onto your old way of doing things and think it's going to transform everything. Now, there's something that has to change because if you try and patch on the new thing that I'm doing through grace and through my gospel and through this wonderful message of forgiveness that I'm bringing, if you try and patch it on to your religious way of doing things, you lose everything. You lose the new wine, you lose the framework, you lose lose the wine skin, you lose everything. My kingdom, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is a completely new thing. You can't just patch it on to the old. And I want to put it to you that the time of patching up times of history, we can see that people eventually got to the point of saying, no, we can't patch up anymore. We need a new thing. And this year is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And Martin Luther and others said, no, it's no longer time. We cannot patch the old. It's time for a new thing. And so they, they, they left the Roman church. Here in this nation, um, John Wesley did not want to leave the Anglican church, but he, had to, he came to a point where he had to say, it cannot be patched up in anymore. It's time for a new thing. God is doing a new thing. And I want to put it to you, this is just my opinion, but I think the time is coming in our generation where the church, it's time to, to do a new thing. We cannot patch up the old anymore. New one. And the point for us out of this thing that i'm trying to say this morning is that for you and me what jesus is saying in terms of the new thing that he's doing it requires a soft heart from you and from me that's what it requires that's the great encouragement the thing about wine skins is that they're elastic they are supple these days we don't have wine skins we have big vats these are either oak vats or big big um, what are they made of cast iron vats but the thing about wineskins in the old days is that they become hard and unyielding. And so the, the picture is that as the, as the wine is fermenting inside the wineskin, it causes gas, which in, in, in turn causes pressure. And what is old and dry will explode when it's exposed to the new wine, so that both the, the new wine and the wineskin are lost. And so Jesus, is in this picture, He's saying to you and He's saying to me, you need to keep your heart supple and yielding so that it can, it, it can flow with the new thing that I'm doing. If you harden your heart, you're going to lose the new one, and you're going to lose everything. And so I want to encourage you. I'm 53 now. I've noticed this about myself. The older I get, the harder it is to change. Isn't it? Especially when things are unfamiliar. Especially as technology is advancing so quickly. I read this week an article by the... Um, CEO of Mercedes-Benz who said that in the next 10 to 15 years the Automotive industry in the world is going to be completely transformed in the next 15 years get ready for it guys We will not drive petrol cars or diesel cars. They will all be electric this week in California uh, Telsa just released the first um, multi um, the first uh, mass-produced electric car Newest model for 27,000 pounds. It's the cheapest one they've ever built. Uh, Elon Musk. They're they're producing 5,000 a week. Within the the next six months, they will produce 10,000 a week. You and I are going to be driving electric cars. You and I will not own cars in the next 15 years. We will simply call on our mobile phone, and a car will come. A remote car will come and uh, come fetch us and take us to where we want to go. It sounds it sounds crazy, doesn't it? That's what's going to happen. We will, you will not get a license. You will not have a license anymore. Technology is changing so quickly. You won't, you won't even have to drive your car anymore. Do you know that that right now Uber is the biggest car company in the world? It does not own one car. It's software. Do you know that Airbnb is now that one of the biggest hotel chains in the world? It does not own a building. <laughs> Things are changing fast. And you and I have to be able to cope with these changes. What's that got to do with the kingdom? Well, when God wants you to do a new thing through His church, it's the same thing, that the process of change might be seem fast for us, but our hearts need to be soft and yielding so that we can absorb and flow with the new thing that God is doing. I want to encourage you. I'm not accusing anyone this morning. I'm just saying, as we go forward, as God does new things with us, keep your heart soft. Keep it open so that the Holy Spirit can use you for the new thing that He's doing. I love the story of Abraham, and you know I've preached on that a lot. But Abraham walked by faith. That's what he's commended for. Uh, even um, I love Hebrews 11, 21. It says, Jacob, even when he was was di- um, when dying, he he blesses each of his sons, and it says he holds the, he holds his staff and he worships and he blesses them as he's leaning on his staff. What's the picture? The picture is that even when he's dying, even when he's an old man, he's still got the traveler's staff in his hand. There's still a sense of he's been journeying with God all of his life, and to the end of his days, he's going to be walking with God. And I want to encourage you, all of us here this morning, the new thing that God is doing, it's changing all the time, and we have to be those with open hearts that embrace what the Spirit is doing. Amen? Second point. I won't be long. Are you guys still awake? The second thing I want to see see, see out of the story, the new kingdom, this amazing thing that Jesus does, is more gracious and kind than it is legalistic. It's more gracious and kind than it is legalistic. And there are two things that Jesus does to demonstrate that. The first is that his disciples are going for a little stroll on, on, on the Sabbath. And the law didn't say that you couldn't walk on the Sabbath. It just said you mustn't go more than a Sabbath day's journey. And so they're walking along. They simply start to chew on, the, on, on pieces of grass, grain, that they are. They start chewing on the grain. And some Pharisees, some of the religious types, they see this and they get so upset. And they say, no, your disciples are working on the Sabbath. You're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. And Jesus could have told them that he wasn't really breaking the law. What he was breaking was their additional law. Because the Pharisees had a thing called the Mishnah, which had a whole lot of additional laws that weren't required in the Old Testament that they put onto people. And there were 39 other laws in the Mishnah that required certain things about work on the Sabbath, including reaping and winnowing and threshing and all these things and preparing a meal. These were additional laws that the, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees had put on through the Mishnah. And it might seem fantastical to us. It might seem like we can't get our head around it. But for, for rabbis, for, for the Pharisees and Sadducees, it was a matter of real sin. And they took it very seriously. And Jesus, what he does, he just simply points them back to the greatest king of Israel, David. And he says, well, David did something that seems to have been forbidden altogether by the law. And Jesus is really saying to them, you don't understand, I can do anything I want to. <laughs> That's what he's really saying to them. He's saying, no, I'm the, I'm, I'm the new thing. I, I'm the son of the Most High. I'm God's son. When you look to me, uh, I can do anything. I, I'm not restricted by the law. And so he's, he points them to the story of David who helped himself to the consecrated bread And he says simply, no, no, the Sabbath is made for us. We're not made to serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for us. In other words, he's trying to help them to see that God's law is good, but it's there to serve us, and we're not there to serve it. You know, legalists do strange things, don't they? They take God's law, and they add a whole lot of stuff onto it that wasn't there in the first place, And they make it so complicated and strict that even here in the story, you can't even chew on a piece of grass on a Sunday. That's what legalism does. It adds to people's lives. It puts burdens on people that God never intended ever to be put upon them. And so you and I, we need to guard our hearts that we don't embrace legalism of any kind. Soft hearts that are yielded to the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus really points them And uses this phrase the son of man to point them to the fact that he is god's son and he can do as he pleases anyway and that comes you know you can read about that in daniel 7 if you if you would like to in verse 13 where it says i saw in the night vision and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man and he became the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And here this phrase is used in the, in, the, in, the, in the Old Testament Scripture to point towards the Messiah. Jesus is saying, I am he. I'm the Son of Man. You know what? I can do whatever I want to anyway. And the third thing I want to say uh, this morning is that religion is cruel, but grace is compassionate. Religion is absolutely cruel. Religion actually chops people's heads off. We see that all over the world right now. Religious people chop people's heads off that don't agree with them. This this is the inevitable consequence of religion. It is absolutely cruel. It lacks compassion. And Jesus points to the Pharisees and says, actually, that's your heart. You're being cruel. Why? Well, we see the story of um, the man with the withered hand. He's already, Jesus has already been at loggerheads with these Pharisees for so, so many months already. And um, he's brave, actually, Jesus, to go back to the synagogue because he's already been fighting for the, with these guys. And so he goes back to the synagogue. And the, the the point is, the Greek makes it clear that this man's hand had been withered for, um, wasn't hadn't been um, withered from birth, but something had happened to him. His hand had been, damaged uh, so that it had somehow got damaged and he couldn't use it and Jesus knows that these guys are trying to trap him because under the law this healing would have been seen as 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 working and I, I just um, when I was preparing this I just f- find these things really really interesting um, you know on, on the Sabbath under the Jewish law you could give medical attention to someone uh, if their life was in danger So, for example, a woman in childbirth uh, could be helped on the Sabbath. Uh, You could treat a throat infection, for example. But if a wall fell on someone, you could only clear enough of the wall away to see if they were alive or if they were dead. If they were alive, they could be helped. But if they had already been killed, you had to leave the body and uh, take it away on the next day, not on the Sabbath. Because taking the body, touching the body, taking it out um, was work. Uh, If you had a fracture, for example, you broke your arm, uh, you couldn't be attended to either. Because fixing that would be um, seen as work. You could pour water on the fracture to kind of ease the pain, but you couldn't do more than that. You could put a bandage on a cut, but you could not put ointment on the cut. You could um, attend an injury and, and keep it from getting worse, but you could not make it better. This is the madness. This is the absolute madness of the law. Now, we might find these things extraordinarily difficult to understand, but these are the things that the people were living under. In fact, I read the story of uh, the War of the Maccabees. Do you know that story? You might know it well. But um, uh, it's, it's the, the Maccabees were a particular Jewish um, group, and they were resisting the Syrians, and fleeing from the Syrians, and they took refuge in a whole lot of caves. And Josephus, who's a, a Jewish historian, he tells us that actually what the Syrians did, they knew the law. And so what they did is they attacked them on the Sabbath. And because, because they wouldn't fight, because fighting was seen as work, they didn't even bother to, to, um, to cover the caves or to, to, to put up any protection from themselves on the Sabbath, and the Syrians came in and wiped them all out, dead to a man because they were living faithfully under the law. So Jesus knew all of these things, and he deliberately calls this man forward to heal him. And he simply makes this point to the Pharisees, is it lawful to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath? He puts them in a dilemma. He knows the answer. The answer is obvious. So he says it again. Is it lawful to take a life on the Sabbath or to give life? Again, he's just trying to drive this point home, that the Sabbath was never intended to stop gracious, compassionate kindness of God's kingdom from moving forward. The Pharisees are trapped by their own logic. They've got no answer for him. But the other thing is they are not willing to change either. And it says that Jesus is is angry at their hardness of heart. Distressed that their hearts are so hard, and he heals the man anyway. You see, the breaking of the law was so important to the Pharisees that they didn't even care how other people were affected, they just wanted to get rid of Christ, they just wanted to get rid of him. And that's what religion does to people it makes people blind, foolish. Full of hatred, lacking compassion, and all they want to do is get rid of Jesus. That's what hatred, that's what religion does. I said to Dharma this morning, she was wearing the t shirt of my message. Because uh, do you want to stand up and show them your t shirt? Come on, come on, Dharma. You, st- you were standing up there all the time. I've already embarrassed Guthrie and I can embarrass you. What does it say? It says, love, mercy. Come on now. Love mercy. The grace of Christ, the goodness of the gospel, this message that we proclaim is full of mercy, full of peace, full of compassion. And I love the Old Testament scripture that says, mercy always triumphs over judgment. Always, always, always. Jesus brought a new kingdom that changed everything. A kingdom that was full of joy, freedom, celebration, kindness, Peace, compassion, humility. He wants to pour that out into soft hearts that will receive it. Will your heart receive it this morning? This is the new thing that God wants to do in His church. It's not new, it's been going on for 2,000 years. But for those that perceive it, it's a new thing that God wants to do. You can't just patch it on to an old religious way of doing things. You can't just patch it on and hope it's going to bring life. It's a completely new thing that comes by the power of the Spirit that God does in you. Am I perfect? Do I know all these things perfectly in my life? No, I don't. But we're on a journey together and we're learning. Yes? Will you let your life be full of mercy and compassion and kindness? When you go away this this holiday and get refreshed, will will you allow God to use you as an instrument of mercy for someone? Demonstrate kindness to someone. That's what His kingdom is about. Amen? God bless you. Let's pray together.